Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for this session this evening. This is a COVID update with a particular focus on religion and faith groups. For those that are listening in after the event, this is being recorded on Tuesday, the 19th of January, and the information is up to date and correct as of recording. The session this evening um, will look as follows. So we're going to hear from Krishna, the Director of Public Health, for a general update on the current situation in South End. And then we're going to open up to a, a general discussion for everyone to take part in with a particular focus on religion and faith. We are also joined by some colleagues who I'd like to put on the spot and ask them to introduce themselves. They're going to be there to answer any specific questions that might come up. So, Lee, if I can pick on you first, please, uh, just to introduce yourself and the questions you might be able to help with. Didn't give me time to write myself some headers down there. I should have done it in advance. Uh, my name's Leo Shea. I'm a, um, a practice nurse by background. So I work as a nurse practitioner or, or practice nurse, a prescribing nurse. And I've um, trained, so I've been in, I worked in the hospital for 20 years beforehand and I've been in general practice about 25 years. Um, and I've been training for immunizations generally for the last 20 years, I suppose. I'm, I'm a registered nurse teacher. Um, so I do, and I do a lot of training for public health around the childhood immunization programs, et cetera. And I've been doing the training for um, Mill Lamb for, for um, uh, um, sort of for the local area. So at the moment, the nurses can, or nurses or clinical staff can either do the online training or they can do my training, which covers all the things in the online training, or they can do both. So I've been talked about, I think we've had about 300 or so nurses come through the program. So I've got a, a good basic knowledge of how things work and how the vaccines work. Um, and if I, I know what's in them, I know a, a fair amount about all of the myths and, and the um, things out there that stop people wanting to have their vaccines. So if there's any questions there, I'm very happy to have a go. I really don't know the answer to everything. So if I don't know it, I will just go, oh, don't know that one yet. So, but I can find it. So I'll know where to find the answer for you. That's brilliant. Thank you, Lee. And then if I can come to Louise, if you can just give a little hello or an intro for me. Hello, my name's Louise Harper. I'm bereavement and registration team manager for Southend Borough Council. So I might be able to answer any questions with regards to the registration of death or what happens from a crematorium or a burial background. That's brilliant. Once again, I, I'll uh, echo Lee's uh, answer in the fact that I might not be able to answer everything immediately, but if I can't, then I will find out the answer for you. That's great. Thank you, Louise. And then last but not least, Rahel, can we come to you, please? Good evening, everyone. My name is Rahel Zaman. I work in Environmental Health. Um, so I pretty much deal with food, health and safety, and at the moment, track and trace. So if there are any questions relating to the legislation, if you're not sure what the law requires, um, I'll try my best to help you out as much as I can. That's great. Thank you, Rahel. Thank you for all of you for offering your support with questions. I can see a big smile on Krishna's face because it might make it a bit easier for him this evening. And if it's okay, Krishna, I'll hand over to you for your update. Thank you, Roger. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, thank you for making time uh, to come over here today. And also a big thanks uh, to all my colleagues who 
have agreed to um, uh, come on the late shift, as I normally put it. Uh, so I think I'm going to need a bit more support today based on uh, the conversation that goes on. Uh, so for, I think for me, two or three things today, I just want to give you an update um, of where we are uh, locally currently uh, in terms of of the challenges we, we're still facing, uh, but also how we are managing uh, what sort of, sort of the key messages we would like you to take forward in terms of testing uh, and also in terms of vaccination as well. Uh, and also what we would like to do is really spend most of the time uh, giving an opportunity to talk, um, it's a question and answers opportunity for us to think about how best we can carry on working together uh, in looking at how we can minimize um, the, um, the spread of the virus uh, through interactions and, and things like in the community as well. So the support we, we can gain from you will be very um, beneficial for uh, our, our challenge and, and all the effort we're all putting in together, not just for us working um, either in the NHS or, or the local government, but also to uh, colleagues in the third sector uh, and to the community who are all putting a huge effort in trying to uh, help uh, our our fight actually in, in, in South End. So a quick, quick update on where we are with with data. Uh, so um, I think as you know um, our rates um, in, in South End reached a, a peak of almost 1300, 100,000 uh, over the Christmas New Year period. Um, and um, we increase our testing uh, very um, significantly uh, from uh, mid-December to try and break the, uh, the, 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 the spread of the virus in our community because obviously it was getting at a point where things were, we had a large, uh, a large proportion of the population uh, without symptoms, asymptomatic, uh, who uh, unfortunately were un unknowingly transmitting uh, the virus onto other people in the community as well. Uh, since uh, putting all these uh, measures in place and, uh, and a uh, very much welcome uh, lockdown, uh, which hopefully is going to be more effective uh, than the one we had in, in uh, November, uh, we've seen our rates uh, gradually uh, going down in the first week of January and certainly in the last seven days. Uh, we are now really benefiting from all the efforts of testing. People were uh, doing uh, the bit about uh, staying at home in the lockdown. Um, and also all the interventions we're putting in place in, in minimizing the spread of the virus in places like supermarkets and other places where people still are going in quite large numbers. Um, and um, so the rates have, uh, as at uh, today, uh, gone down the oil rate to 700 uh, per 100,000. Um, so that's uh, a good reduction for us uh, when the average in the last previous seven days was around 8,000 per 100,000. So, um, so that's average of about a 29% reduction in, in seven days. So we need to keep it this way. Uh, and um, it is about us um, uh, minimizing this, um, the risk of this going up again, if we take our eyes off it is basically what it is. Uh, we still got concern about uh, the rate uh, in the over, over 60s and um, that is going down a lot slower. Um, that is actually now. At par, it's uh, 700, uh, 700 cases per 100,000 as well um, in our population. And it seemed to be reducing at, at a much slower rate. Uh, so it's important that we consider the risk uh, of how this may be spreading still in those over the age of 60 uh, and be mindful that um, obviously there are people who are most likely to be more affected, either being more seriously ill 
or needing hospital uh, treatment as well. Um, our death rates um, are marginally still high. Um, so um, we, we certainly know in um, the previous seven days, we had 45 people in, in, um, in South End uh, passed away uh, directly related to COVID within 28 days of being tested positive. Uh, and in the last seven days, in the previous seven days, it was 45, 45 uh, in the last seven days uh, to yesterday. Uh, it um, was 65, uh, so still um, a, a significant number of people, unfortunately, uh, not surviving uh, the disease. Uh, where we are in the hospital is um, not uh, uh, not as bad as it was a week ago, but um, it's still very challenging. So we've got more people in the hospital than we've had in the uh, in the first outbreak. Uh, and in the system itself, um, it's uh, still over 200 people in the hospital. Now we expect people to sometimes stay in the hospital longer than in the first outbreak because of the um, uh, the intervention, if you want, the, the medication, the technology, uh, everything that's been put in place uh, since the first outbreak means people who um, unfortunately would have passed away potentially in the first uh, wave um, are in uh, a better place in terms of recovery this time around, but they have to stay in hospital longer, which means the, um, the demand on hospital beds um, becomes more challenging. In, in the system. Uh, so the, uh, the closure of the schools um, has certainly benefited us as well. Uh, we've seen a, a, um, an immediate reduction in our rates uh, from uh, the 5th of January as soon as the uh, lockdown came in. Uh, so I think this is something that we're going to carry on influencing the government nationally on in terms of how long we should retain uh, the closure of school while also working very closely with the schools to ensure that um, remote learning and home learning are both effectively in place uh, to, to support our children because we don't want them to lose uh, too much of their education. Uh, but to be honest with you, the system operating very well. Um, the head teachers will tell you, and I have a number of, uh, of workshops with them, of, of webinars with them, uh, where they will describe to you how we can still be effective in this day and age, whether it's just using remote learning or a combination uh, of remote learning and home learning as well. So I appreciate this is a huge challenge in the community. Closing schools always brings huge challenges with them in terms of people's ability to work, um, not just going out of, of home to work where you know they, they are in a critical job or an essential job, but they have to go out to work. Others who shouldn't be going out to work should really be working from home. But even then working from home, uh, you know, I'm lucky I don't have the, the, the distraction of uh, young children running around, but it is um, a huge challenge uh, for parents who had to work from home. And we totally appreciate that uh, in terms of how we manage and work with them. So, um, but, uh, you know, we had to put these measures, we had to be stricter in our approach if we're going to fight this new variant, which was spreading so much faster. And uh, it is really pleasing to see uh, some of these positive figures. And for me, you know, I can smile these days because I feel that uh, not only are the measures working, but the community is really working with us to, to support us with that. The businesses are supporting us with it. And, uh, and certainly now the plea would be while we're all waiting for the vaccination program uh, to be rolled out, as you've heard the government say, you know, the, uh, the plan is to try and get uh, everybody who wants to receive the vaccination uh, immunized uh, no later than September. 
what we're going to do is, um, as we uh, will see uh, lifting of the restrictions, uh, which I hope will be a phased approach. We're not going to go straight from a lockdown into a, uh, you know, into tier one or tier two. We need to phase it down gradually. We need to learn from some of the challenges we faced when we didn't do that in the summer. Um, so what we will be looking for is to make sure that one of the biggest um, uh, tool we're going to have is about testing. So rapid testing, uh, which um, we are now running very effectively in uh, in South End. So today, um, so this week, we've opened a third uh, rapid testing side, the LFT testing side in Shrewsbury. So the other two are in Belfairs and in uh, the town centre, the university site. Uh, so we've got capacity now for up to 1,500 people being tested daily just in those um, rapid testing sites. So very, very keen that people test and those, especially those people who are going out uh, to work, I think it is important that you test at least once a week just to prevent the spread of the virus uh, going. What we're also hoping to hear next week is that um, following a positive test with the LFT testing, that you may no longer require a confirmatory PCR test, which is the one we do in you know, the, the, uh, the main site currently uh, at Short Street. Uh, you'll be aware that uh, tomorrow we're opening another similar uh, PCR test in Lee. Uh, so we'll be advertising this more tomorrow once we are definitely sure it's going to be up and running. And that's the site that's going to be run by the Department of Health and Social Care. Uh, this is obviously for people who got symptoms. Because these are symptomatic testing sites, Short Street and the one in Lee. The others are asymptomatic testing sites for this rapid testing. So it's important that um, um, we, we look at the, uh, the suggestion that we will not require a PCR test for obviously the reason being that um, a, um, we, we are confident that the LFT positive test is sufficient um, we just need a legislative approval on uh, the fact that people need to use that uh, uh, to request uh, support or get um, confirmation from their management that um, uh, they unfortunately cannot come you know, to work and they need to self-isolate. Um, so uh, that will then enable um, people to um, claim any uh, compensation that uh, they may be due uh, following the need for them to self-isolate for 10 days. So, so we're waiting for that, but uh, I will, this is a big plea to um, you and anyone who are visiting any of your uh, uh, faith groups uh, to encourage people to continue taking the test because that is our main tool, if you are now, for battling this, um, uh, the, the spread of the virus um, as we start coming out of, um, of lockdown and, and phase back into some sense of normality, whatever that is. I've lost count myself how many times I say this, I don't know what normality is anymore. Um, but I'm just, uh, you know, I think we've all, uh, I appreciate it's almost a year, isn't it? We've been, we've been living this way. Um, uh, some of us got used to it. Um, I find it a bit strange even leaving my house now without um, uh, my face mask. Remember the days when we used to think about, have I taken my handkerchief with me? Now it's, uh, have I taken my face mask with me? Um, so I think it's, um, it's important we, we, we all uh, play a role in trying to encourage people to continue testing while the vaccination program is running. Uh, so just a quick update on vaccination. So where are we with vaccination? So um, as you probably heard this week, the government has announced that people over the age of 70 uh, will start being included in the next tranche of vaccination. Um, certainly um, the data I've got, um, uh, which is a few days old, uh, but to include some of potentially the vaccination that's taken place over the last few days, 
Uh, I suspect uh, between 40 and 45% of those over the age of 80 have now already received uh, the vaccination. I think that will be closer to probably about um, uh, 60 to 70 uh, in, the, uh, in the next few days, uh, based on the numbers I've seen uh, being invited as well. Uh, so obviously some of the high-risk groups uh, in terms of staff working in health and social care who are immediately frontline uh, providing support and care to people who may or may not have tested positive uh, have also started to get receive the vaccination now. And most importantly, our care homes, as you know, we've got a disproportionate number of care homes in there. In South End. Uh, so I know as at yesterday, 32% uh, of our care homes residents have received their vaccines, and uh, almost 25% of their care home staff um, have come forward to receive the vaccine as well. So we get to push that. We are quite keen to, um, to, to make sure that all the care homes um, that do not have an outbreak currently receive their vaccine as soon as possible. Uh, because we are obviously trying to work uh, to reduce the risk of um, the spread of the, of the virus in our care homes as well. So, so long may go, uh, may, may I see the continuation of the vaccination program. There are now, I believe, six sites. I'm trying to count in my head now. Yeah, we've got six sites active for vaccination in, um, in, in South End. So we've got five of those being run by the GPs across all the, the part of, of South End from Shubri right to Lee. And obviously, we've also got the hospital side uh, that are vaccinating. Uh, we will also have a much larger vaccination centre opening uh, at the beginning of February. We're just waiting for confirmation of uh, the, the site for this in South End. And as soon as that is open, then we will be probably having enough sites for the time being uh, to start pushing the vaccination programme. So I will pause there and um, probably see if there are any questions around what I've said. And um, if I'm stuck with any of the questions, I'll ask my colleagues um, who volunteer to be here today uh, to help me with some of those. Thank you. Thank you, Krishna. That was a really useful update as always. And, you know, I think we'll all agree that it's nice to hear some positive news coming in and all the hard works kind of starting to pay off. So thank you. Just before we move on to the question, Simon has very kindly put some information and links into the chat. If you want to take a look at that, there's some information around testing, also some information around the vaccinations as well. The first question, Krishna, is from Reverend Paul. During this lockdown, places of worship can remain open. Many have closed for public worship, although I gather some remain open. What is your view on that? So, so did you say Paul? Yes, it's Reverend Paul. So, so Reverend, for me, my view is, um, you know, as much as possible, we need to try and um, do what is right. And if you feel that your, um, your, your facility will provide with a bit secure environment for people to be using it, then, um, you know, you, you can go ahead and do that. But if you feel you don't feel confident that you can have that sort of uh, COVID secure environment, then uh, it's best probably to consider, you know, whether that is not the right thing to do. Because what we won't, don't want is large groups of people meeting uh, in certainly in, in the next two or three weeks uh, while our rates come down. Uh, but if uh, environments for me is about being COVID secure, if your environment is COVID secure, then do what you feel is correct for, for people locally. 
Did that answer your question, Paul? You're welcome no. to unmute if you'd like. Okay, to. thank you. Uh, well, we have closed actually. We closed on the. We decided we met on the 31st of December and decided that we felt, although we've put lots of uh, measures into place, we've got hand sanitizers all over the church, and you know various other things, um, that we felt that we just felt that it was right to close because. Um, even if we're gathering in 30 or 40 people in our building, we would hold five to 600 people. Um, it still felt that we, it was the right thing to do to close. Um, so I, I, my question was more, and I know it's difficult to ask, answer this, but it was more about seeing other places of worship open. Um, in November, we were all tasked to close um, across the country. And this time it feels slightly loose, really, in terms of its uh, deciding allowing people to make their own decisions, which I get, I completely get, but I just feel that it would be better if we all closed, really. Yeah, I think, I think Paul, I think it's, it's, it's balancing the risk with what we know in terms of the evidence. Um, so we haven't seen um, any serious evidence of um, any outbreaks in, in faith settings. Uh, there have been very, very few little ones that have been confirmed. Uh, so it is about the balance. And I think, you know, my view is my approach is always as much as possible, if we do not need to hold something where there are groups, it's best to do so, not to hold them. But we didn't want to prevent people from doing something safely as well. It's a balance of taking those views into consideration, you know, and, uh, and my view is, um, while I will advise people not to meet in groups, uh, it is one that people need to decide for themselves when it comes to faith approach. Sure, thank you. And um, uh, that argument in terms of there have been very few outbreaks in places of worship. It was certainly quoted to me, and I, but we still felt it was appropriate to close. So. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that, actually. And... Thank you, Paul. The next question is from John. Does the definition of care homes include sheltered housing complexes, for example, Adams Elm House, and blocks of flats for retired people, for example, Kingswell? Uh... Care homes. I'm not quite sure I know that definition for definite. Um, so, Lee, I just seen you open your hand up. Does that mean you know the answer? You're on mute. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not 100%, but things like um, uh, the, the, the care homes um, are all covered, obviously. That So, if you've got a care or a residential home, they're covered. If you have um, a block of flats that is in, independently full of elderly people, then they will be immunised according to the groups that, that they'll be called to be immunised according to the age group that they're in. So they won't, you know, you wouldn't choose um, a block of flats that's a sheltered accommodation perhaps and go in per se and immunise everybody in there the same as you would in a nursing home. They will be in, uh, immunised individually according to their age and who, who they're registered with for the for, for flats, for, you know, for separate, for, for sheltered account housing and things. Um, with the um, like learning disability and things like that, again, they'll come into the, um, the various groups as we go down. So they'll be less than the, above, above the 60, uh, 60 year olds, but under the 60, in with the 65 year olds, I think we're immunizing um, the other risk groups. So, so, and I saw a question about um, frontline staff who work with people who are not um, healthcare workers, will you be getting your vaccine? And again, it will, to the best of my knowledge, it's, it will be, you will be immunised in with your group. So the, the, the first um, 
uh, focus of, of immunising people is to immunise the most vulnerable and reduce hospital admissions, etc., and mortality. The second um, wave, the second phase, once all of the first phase are immunised, will be to immunise the next group of people who are net most vulnerable. So you may come into the next group if you're not already included in one of the groups that's been been immunised. That helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, so I was going to say to add to what Lee said, I think there are still some debate about some of these groups uh, because obviously the uh, the way the prioritisation was done by the national vaccination uh, immunisation program was based on making sure that everything's going to be done in a consistent way. But obviously, since then we've also picked up that there are a number of other higher risk groups that may need to be higher up, and we are always bringing those up for compensation. For example, teachers were not in on the list. For example. Uh, so this will be uh, something that will be agreed nationally as we go. So that these are the conversations happening on a daily basis. Can I just add, because that was my question, um, Roger, is that okay? Yeah, of course. Um, just wanted to just double check with that. So that charity things where, um, uh, how do we know that, you know, that next phase that you've mentioned, how do we know that, you know, you know about us, that's all? Like, do we register somewhere? Like, I mean, I've got up to 140 volunteers. Obviously, about 20 or 25 are probably the most face-to-face -face sort of knock-and-drop deliveries, outreach teams and in-reach teams and so forth. So how do, I just need to know, how do I make sure that you will um, take us into account? Do we need to register, basically, for that phase? Yeah, so I think a bit like some of the other areas in terms of people who've fallen in between care homes and not care homes, I think what we've done is... Um, We've tried to make sure that they, they are included. So it may well be that uh, once we get to know more of those, Daniel, some, some of these new groups come in, we need to start working through this group and colleagues um, through the engagement group to see whether there are any other groups we may have missed in the system. Right. Yeah, it's not going to be that straightforward as you know drawing up a list because there are so many different groups being considered currently. Uh, as soon as we get to hear about those groups, we'll start engaging very quickly to find out. Because there's no just quick way of registering our interest of what we do. No, 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 no simple way to do it at all, Daniel. There's no rational approach only. So we just wait for the list to be, uh, uh, we, we advise of the list and then we put the list out and we'll use as many communication routes as we can to do that. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. Just looking through the chat, I can see that Rahel has kindly put in some information around the guidance for the safe use of places of worship in the chat there with the link. Thank you very much for that. The next question is from Tom. How much better do things need to get before you advise we reopen our places of worship for those of us who have closed at your request? I think um, I would be reviewing um, where we are in a couple of weeks, um, also in line with um, what further advice we receive nationally. Uh, so if we see that the risks are reducing, we can come back out and start advising what's the next thing to do. Obviously, what we don't want is we see the rate going down like we did um, uh, at the end of May and, and, uh, and June and suddenly open the floodgates. Uh, and then uh, before we knew it in September, we had a much bigger problem to deal with. So it's about making sure that we are, whatever advice we give is based on the data and the national travel. And, uh, and again, it's, um, we, we must also 
think about how easily people can fall into the uh, getting back to normal when you think, okay, well, we open the door now. So what happens next is people start behaving as if nothing is happening. And that bit is so much more difficult to deal with now because there's a bit of COVID fatigue in the system. It's a bit like, you know, the supermarket did a brilliant job, as you remember in, uh, in the first, first um, tranche, uh, sorry, the first uh, phase of the first wave. And then um, suddenly during the last lockdown in November and December, uh, you know, we were not following those measures. Uh, it required us to actually intervene and ask the government to intervene nationally in the last few weeks. Uh, to try and get those measures back in place because it's easy to forget that you know what you can't see happening in the hospital uh, or elsewhere uh, is actually you know is there you can't see it uh, you start behaving as if nothing is happening and i wouldn't want us all the sacrifice we've done and i will be honest despite our rates getting very high in in, in december we have been one of the best for a highly populated area in terms of authority because people have done a lot of sacrifice and I wouldn't want to see that wasted. Um, so we just need to take a measured approach with what we do. We will continue to give that advice to our colleagues here as well. Can I just ask a little follow-up on that one? Um, thank you, Krishna. Is, can we expect then a letter at some point from the, because we've got one letter from the council, obviously really urging, please shut due to the current crisis which I yeah. presume still stands until maybe another letter goes out saying things are a bit better, you know, feel free to safely do what you think is right. Otherwise, my operating assumption is that letter still stands as you're urging us to close, uh, yeah. when which goes obviously beyond what the government, uh, you know, are asking at this time. So are you saying in a couple of weeks time or three weeks or what there might be another letter to follow up, follow up what the advice is? Yeah, so Tom, what we do is uh, we work through the uh, the Residence Forum in Essex uh, because the letter came from um, my counterparts in Essex and Thurrock as well. If you remember, we all yep. all of us signed it. Uh, so you, the um, the faith group representative um, Bishop um, Roger, um, you know, he he was supportive of the position we took in terms of okay, you know, that's the approach. So I think what we'll be doing is working through through his group again to say. Now we've reviewed this, can we maybe make some amendments to, to the advice we give? Uh, and again, we'll go through Bishop, Bishop Roger to do this uh, because we, we, draw, we draft the letter and he, help us, uh, he will help us um, finalize it because obviously he's having conversation with the various faith groups to, and then we can push that out. So it's, even though we are looking at the data, even when we write the letter, we tend to work through uh, Bishop Roger to, to get an approval of what's the best thing to do and suggest. Thank you. Thank you for your questions, Tom. And Krishna, I missed a question from John. He's asking if you could just clarify the percentage of over 80s. Again, he missed that figure. I presume it's in relation to the infection vaccination. Was that the vac vaccination one? Uh, he's nodding, yeah, vaccination. I think he must have been, isn't he? So we, we've got about 45% of those over 80 vaccinated to date, but that was at as Monday. Brilliant, thank you. Amanda has just popped in the chat there a contact email address for anyone who has concerns regarding the local COVID vaccination program, um, which goes to the EPUT patient advice liaison team. So that's in the chat for anyone that needs that information. 
Simon's also put some information in the chat for government information and guidance for the use of multi-purpose community facilities. Thank you, Simon. The next question, Krishna, is from Peter. We have two members that cannot have a vaccine because of their health. They have been told there is a new type of protection coming from the USA and being tested in Manchester. Are there any updates available? Uh, I suspect this will be what we call an antiviral medication. Uh, so I am not sure where they are with that. I'm, I'm not currently following uh, the, uh, the trial on this, uh, but it's certainly something we can look at uh, and maybe feed through Roger if I can have a look at it properly. So unfortunately, I can't comment on it, but I know it's a, it is an antiviral that they are testing currently. Thank you, Peter. I'll make sure that we forward any information on to you after the call. Um, we actually don't have... Sorry. Oh, sorry, Lee. I was just going to say that, that I don't know anything about the antivirals, particularly in the trial, but what I would say is that there's very, very, very few people who can't have the vaccine. So, um, you know, it is a, a, they are very well tolerated with very few side effects. Um, and you see lots and lots of things in the, in the media that, that, that say, you know, you can't have it if you had an anaphylactic reaction, all those sorts of things. But there are actually very many people who can have the vaccine that perhaps get told through friends and not necessarily medically that they can't have it. So I would just say, you know, I, I don't know where these people have got their information from, and it may well be that they've told they can't have it, but that most people can, and most people will be fine with it. I'll just, just poke my nose in there, sorry. Yeah, and that, <laughs> thank you. Correct. Yeah, that's correctly. We, we, we certainly have got three different vaccines anyway. Can yeah, I just reply on that, Roger? Yeah, of course. Um, the, the two members we're talking about are people that have been told by their specialists that they, in fact, it was where we got this information from because they come on to us, ask the question. They've been told by their specialists they shouldn't have this vaccine. I'm not sure of the diseases they've got because they're just two members out of 4,300. So, but they had mentioned it and I did say I'd ask the question today if there was any updates on that. So that was how I got the information about the antiviral testing starting in the USA. I've al already been told by somebody that it only lasts six months anyway. It's not a long-term protection, but I just said I'd ask the question, that's all. Yeah, I think you're, you're correct, Peter. I mean, what Lee was saying is a very, very small minority of people who will be advised for clinical reason, uh, probably not to have a vaccination. And, um, and they will be considering uh, the option in terms of using antiviral. That's the advantage of having other uh, form of intervention as well. Yeah, but as you are aware, they are still being trial currently. They need to go through all the trial phases. Thank you. I can see, Clive, you've got your virtual hand up. Can we come to you next, please? If that was this, Clive, I do apologise. I must have knocked it when I went to the chat window. Oh, no problem at all. Um, we've not got any more questions currently, so please do type in the chat or raise your hand if you do have one. Um, there is a comment from John just saying that his friend's consultant has told him he must not have the vaccine. Um, so I, I presume that's just in relation into the very small numbers that Krishna and Lee were just discussing. Um, Amanda has put some information for everyone, a leaflet around supporting people to treat COVID symptoms at home. 
and Simon has put in the South End Coronavirus Helpline number for everyone in the chat. So I'm going to just have a look around the room to see if anyone's got their hand up, if there's any other questions for Krishna and the team. It's a very quiet group tonight, Roger. It is. I think we must have bamboozled them all. <laughs> We've got a question from Paul. Paul, can we come to you? Yeah, sorry, I haven't typed it in. Um, I, um, I was at the crematorium a couple of weeks ago and taking a, a service and there was a I felt really felt for the um, for the uh, attendants because obviously a large group of people turned up for uh, another service outside and um, I felt uncomfortable walking through the crowd of people um, and I and I know it's really difficult it's very emotive it's very um, hard on everybody um, and I just wondered if there's any uh, I think sorry there was a lady from the bereavement office wasn't there um, I just wonder if there's any help for those guys at the crematorium, really, when those situations occur. So, I think that was uh, perhaps for me, Paul. It's Louise here from the bereavement services. We um, we're working very hard with the funeral directors and hopefully um, some of the faith groups as well to minimise and get the message out that the minimum, uh, sorry, the maximum number at any funeral should be thirty. Uh, we're looking at other ways in which we can get that message out. We have been the only events organisation who's been able to run throughout the whole of this. And our staff do feel it, um, as do the funeral directors when we have large groups. Um, speaking to the other crematorium in the area, there's very little in which we can do to minimise the numbers attending. If they do, we can politely ask them to um, step aside. We can refuse entry to the actual chapel for more than we can socially distance for. Uh, but quite often it has been that we've had more than 30 who have attended at uh, funerals. We do have the right to contact the police and inform them. But we've been told by the police that unless they're causing any problems, then they wouldn't attend. It has been suggested that maybe we should uh, utilise bouncers. Um, which we have decided not to do because, as you said so rightly, it's, it's a very emotive uh, time for people and to be that austere would, wouldn't feel right to us. So um, all, the, all the staff have obviously been trained in the way in which to handle large groups and uh, speaking to people in a manner which would be suitable at that time to them. Does that yeah. help? Yeah, thank you. I, I just it was just an observation, and I felt I really, as I say, I felt for the guys there, and um, and, and I have to say, my interactions with you know, the attendants have all been very good, and you know, they've all been very. Uh, you know, if you get in the small in the South Chapel, if you get like thirteen people turn up, you know, it's it's, it's been very good. So it's not been an issue yeah. at all. But I, I just sorry. yeah, yeah. We, we I mean we are socially distanced for. 30 in our larger chapel and 12 in our smaller chapel and it's yeah. it's very evident that the larger chapel now um, is favoured because of the uh, you know the the numbers not being as limited but uh, you know if 13 have turned up if they're in a social if they're in a support bubble then we would turn a blind eye to that additional person for example um, but not so much for ourselves but I was speaking to Chelmsford uh, crematorium the other day and they had an instance where 
uh, a chap was part of a local cricket club and a horde of people turned up with their cricket bats to salute and line the drive, which was a lovely, you know, it's a lovely sentiment, but it meant that there were more than 30 people. They did socially distance, they did do everything that they should, but yeah, there have been instances um, we've had, for example, 90 people turn up for a burial before, and it, it, it's very difficult to sort of say to people, you're in an open public space, please go away. <laughs> Um, we do politely ask people to social distance or stay in their social bubbles in those instances. Yeah, sorry, just one quick follow-up. Um, I've also had a situation recently where, as you know, that there's funeral services can still happen in churches, even if we're closed to, for public worship. And um, uh, a funeral director had told a, a, bereaved, a bereaved family that the services couldn't happen in church. So they phoned me up and said, is that right? And I said, no, no, it's, you know, it can happen. So. There's a communication issue around what can and what can't happen really. And I know we're all confused about exactly what can and what take, can take place, but um, in some senses, of course, if a service can happen in a church or a place of worship, it, it's slightly easier on the, on the families, I think, and, and yeah. so it helps. So just a communication issue. Yeah, I'm part of um, a wider Essex, excuse the terminology, but a death advisory group. Um, it's something that I can bring up to them um, if that's okay to use your details, Paul. Yep. Thank you for that, Reverend Paul. It's, you know, really useful for us to hear these experiences and stories from the community and so that, you know, Krishna and the team can hear those and, and pass that back. So if anyone else has an experience or any stories or feedback from them or their congregation, it would be useful to hear that during this time as well, if you don't have any questions and maybe just have a think. We've got a question in the chat, Krishna, from Peter. Just checking, but we have had a religious organization, Mormon, going around houses with children. Is this illegal? Rahel, that's one of those um, gray lines, isn't he? It is, it's one of those areas where we can't give an answer straight away. So we have to look into it a bit more and then come back to you guys with the question, with, with the answer. Um, when you say going around, are they going around from a religious service or are they knocking on doors? Uh, can you explain a bit more when you say going around and knocking? Again, we're getting most of this on our Facebook page and we're obviously we're finding that people are a little bit negative, a little bit um, concerned about what people do and don't do. Um, but they are saying, and they've actually shown, um, we've had the ring doorbell uh, videos of uh, a group of about four adults and three children going knocking on doors. And they're saying that that's illegal, but I know that the Lib Dems are delivering leaflets. So I was saying that I don't think it's illegal. You can just refuse to open you know, open your door. That's the easiest way out of it. But I just wondered if there was a, a specific rule that I could say to these people, either they are allowed or they're not allowed. That's all. At the moment, um, I would say, Peter, as advice, um, it's up to the person to open the door or not. So I would say to be safe, it's best not to open the door. 
Um, in terms of if they can do that or if they can't, it's something I'll have to come back. Um, again, as Krishna said, it's a gray area. Um, without looking at the legislation, I can't give an answer straight away. But if you give me some time, I'll look into that and hopefully come back with an answer. Yeah. So my view as Data Public Health is in the spirit of a lockdown, we shouldn't have um, so many people knocking on the door. Uh, so that certainly will be the message I would want to give uh, to, to this group of, uh, of faith uh, group to that. We should avoid doing that because what you've just told me about seven people turning up or knocking on people's door uh, is, um, you know, some people will feel intimidated and may open the door uh, and that may be a risk uh, to, to the family. So in the spirit of lockdown, and this is the same advice I've given to all my political groups um, in terms of um, distribution of leaflet, um, it is, um, again, one of those areas where actually if he's been delivered by a, um, a courier service, which do the deliveries, uh, I think that's um, what happened recently, uh, then it's a paid service. Uh, so according to the law, they are entitled to do that. Uh, but I think from what you've just described there, Peter, um, that's quite a large group of people going to knock on people's door that really in the speed of lockdown should not be happening. And, and I'll be happy to maybe um, uh, write to, to, the, uh, to the faith group uh, as necessary. So maybe if somebody could give me their details, I'll be happy to do that. Thank you, Peter. And Andrew's just added to that as well in the chat. There are other COVID denying groups doorstepping. Um, so I think it sounds like it's maybe more than one. Um, in the event that anyone does see these things happening, then it's important that they are reported. Um, I think you all have my email address, but if I could ask Simon to also put in a, an email address for the public health team, I think it would be useful for someone, everyone to have, you know, a contact that they can report these things to. But I'm happy for you to also contact me. Okay, just looking in the chat question. I think everyone's letting you off a bit early this evening. We've got no more questions in the chat. Um, I can't see anybody waving at me in the virtual room. So I, I hope everyone's found this session useful. Um, we do run these regularly. This is a kind of more focused session, but we are running um, general COVID updates on a regular basis. You can find information about those um, on the SAVS or Southland Council social media pages. And I'll also make sure that you're all invited as you've attended this event as well. Um, just to add that we also have a mailing list, which we call Community Connectors, which you're all welcome to join on the link that I've just posted in the chat. And we send out weekly newsletters through that, which contains up-to-date information and guidance. I think is really useful because things change so often, it's just a way to get the most up-to-date information. But I think we've come to the end for this evening. So thank you to Amanda, Kelly, Emma, Simon, and Camille for supporting with this session. For the three um, question answers for Krishna, and of course to Krishna for spending time with us this evening. And I'll leave it to you, Krishna, to close if you'd like to. Oh, thank you, uh, Roger. No, but thank you to uh, all my colleagues as well, and uh, quite a few other colleagues here uh, that we did not mention, Neymar and uh, Simon. 
Um, and again, for Roger, for always organizing these events for me, um, it's really helpful for me to come and talk and hear what people have got to say as well. Uh, it does help us with our approach. So the two plea from me is continue doing what you're doing um, and keep supporting uh, the, the, the work we're trying to do here uh, and uh, get as many people and encourage people to get tested. And remember, when it comes to vaccination, if people ask the question, don't phone your GP you will be contacted uh, for your vaccine uh, through either means, whether it's a text message, a phone call or the post. Uh, so you will be contacted because your name is on the list, you will be invited. So please do not contact the GPs. I think some of the GPs are still uh, finding a struggle, a struggle because people are contacting them. Uh, all the best, have a good evening, all of you, uh, and enjoy your meal if you've not had your dinner yet. So thank you everyone.